Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the program. Great to have you here with us on this Wednesday afternoon. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you. Two expert guests one hour. It is Wednesday, the 22nd of July. I'm Nadine Blaney. So I've got two great guests that you likely know well. I've got Mark Moreland. He's joining us from Team Invest and Henry Jennings, who is standing by from Marcus today. I'm going to get right to it. The reason is I know I'm not Kashi and I really wanted to get on your good side. So I've picked not just one, but two stocks of the day. You can thank me later. Um, perhaps I'll start with Mark Moreland from Team Invest. Warm welcome, by the way. Good to thank see you, you again, Mark. Nine spokes. Now, this one caught my eye because the share price went gangbusters. Granted, it's yeah. a penny stock. And I know that you guys at Team Invest don't really like talking about these penny stocks, but um, but you've done your homework, haven't you? Uh, well, I did. I'd never heard of it, so I, I admit that. Uh, but I had a look at it and I actually try to understand how the business operates because for invest, when you're investing, unless you're just chasing momentum or FOMO, you know, you don't want to miss out or, you, or greater full theory, which is what Afterpay is, where people keep buying it because someone else will pay more, where there's no correlation to anything about the business. It's a really good idea to understand business models and, make an, and get an understanding of are they likely to be successful. So when I dug into uh, Nine Spokes, I found out, well, A, they're a small company, they're about 48 million market cap and they're, they're, their share price is about uh, four cents. Well, and it went really hard yesterday yeah. because they announced this deal with Visa. That's right. And there is a little bit of that uh, sentiment out there right now that if it's Visa, it must be buy now, pay later, you know, and a lot of exuberance sort yeah. of comes There's around There's nothing that. like it. Uh, basically what they do is they provide a platform for merging uh, apps that a small business has. So if you're a small business and you have your Google and you have all sorts of apps, they put it all onto one page so you can get a nice clear view of uh, what you have. Which, it's called the it, dashboard. Which, it's a dashboard, that's right, that, which sounds okay. The service is free. So the small business pays nothing. And the way these guys make their money is they have arrangements or, and deals with the app suppliers, the ones you pay for, that is, not the free ones. And they get some sort of commission from the apps the, from the app when the small business buys it. So in other words, they don't get any revenue from a business that actually signs up for the service. You have to buy stuff, buy apps through them, and then they get commission. That's how they're going to make their money. So that's a bit convoluted. Then what they've done, they, they had a um, ASX uh, query and they were suspended for a while, and it was to do with an audit report which questioned whether they were uh, viable going forward. And the reason is they're burning money like there's no no tomorrow. And uh, last year, they, uh, their return on equity was minus 237 uh, times, which means they burnt through more than 200% of the equity they had in the business. So they did a big raising, issued a hell of a lot more shares. This, this is a four-year history company that's burning money. But the issue is not that. Their sales also went down. So in the last year, uh, sales growth dropped. So one of, these, uh, one of the uh, attributes that tech companies typically have at the moment that aren't making money is they have to have very strong growth where everyone goes, ah, it's going to be good and we'll make money eventually you know, mm -hmm. down the road. These guys actually dropped last year, which is a really bad sign on sales. Um, anyway, 
then they came out and released a uh, report that uh, they'd signed an agreement with Visa and the share price jumped dramatically yesterday. Now, I've, I've dealt with Visa and MasterCard, I, I know them well. And what they've done is they've done a profit share deal with Visa. So Visa will then say to banks, because Visa don't control the banks, the banks are their clients. They're going, oh, we have, an, we have a relationship with these people. Now, Visa will say nothing to the banks. It's going to be up to uh, nine spokes to go to the banks and they'll have the credibility of saying we have an, uh, an alliance with Visa. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. So it might get them in the door. And then the idea is they'll get the banks to promote uh, the, uh, they'll get the banks to promote uh, the service to their small business customers. Now, anyone who's dealt with banks knows that's not going to happen because the banks, you know, they, they've, got, they've got plenty of other issues to worry about rather than promoting third parties. So I don't see how that'll work. So if you actually look at it, the, the price is bumped on the story of the Visa relationship because Visa is a big global brand. But they've got three steps. You've got the banks, then you've got the, the uh, small businesses who all have to, have to sign up, and then they have to buy stuff yeah. before these guys can make a cent. The company did say yesterday there's no revenue attached. They don't know when there's going to be any revenue right. attached. So bottom line, Mark, don't be blinded by these no. massive share price rises in some of these very small companies just because they drop in a, a good name. Is that, no. that the summary? Exactly right. And I think the reality is the chances of these guys actually prospering are remote. Okay. Yeah. So that's nine spokes. Anybody who was wondering out there yesterday. Let's get to Henry Jennings because I've got a bit more of a traditional uh, stock of the yeah. day as well. And this is in the retail space. It's baby bunting. So the ticker code is BBN. It's doing very well today, Henry, up 6%. After it updated the markets, it's expecting net profit to come in between 9.5 and 10.5 million in FY20. So down slightly on last year. But but I've read one broker note that said that baby bunting is a category killer and one of the few small cap retailers that will be able to grow earnings through this crisis. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I definitely. Hi, Nadine. Hi, Mark. Uh, baby bunting, good result, uh, good update this morning uh, from the company. And it certainly is showing that it is, as you say, a category killer. They have gone through, uh, I guess, they've, they've done really well because they've, they've killed most of their competition. And they've left them in the dust to some extent. Now, I don't know how coronavirus is going to affect uh, the birth rate going forward. But uh, given that people have been locked up with Netflix and uh, looking for something to do, you would imagine that in six months to nine months time. <laughs> and, and, you know, you want to buy something new, especially in, uh, in, a, in an era of a pandemic and viruses around. So I think this is, you know, this is one of those rare retailers. And there's a few of them around that really are, as you say, the category killers. They are the best of their breed if you pardon the pun with baby bunting and it really has seen off its competition these these results are continuing to show the strength the stock price has responded accordingly and you can just see that some of these retailers out there uh, la visa is one that's uh, obviously uh, quite volatile as well but they certainly have uh, they've got their own uh, kind of a unique proposition for for teenagers and we've seen it with uh, with breville we've seen it with premier investments all these uh, sorts of retailers, and then you've got the big daddy of them all, Kogan. Uh, once you've uh, established that business track record and you've got that big moat around your business, you can do really well. So I think uh, baby bunting is certainly one for the growth followers in the market, and it does show uh, good signs, good management, very little competition, relatively easy, I would imagine, to, uh, to digitize and move it online for new mums. And of course, it's, um, you know, it, it's, never going to go out of fashion in some respects. Every time you have a child, you always want the best for that child and you try and buy the best you can afford. So I suspect uh, this one is uh, going to continue to be uh, in the growth uh, profile.
I don't disagree, Henry, but I did have a lot of hand-me-downs for my second, I must say. Mark, what do you think of baby um, hunting? We, we, we like retail, by the way. So uh, there's, some, there's been some really good, um, there's some very good operators left in retail, the ones that have survived the Amazonization of the market, if you like. Yeah. Um, I agree with what Henry said. I think uh, baby bundings is quite a good business and it's well positioned. Uh, its growth rate's been running at about 10% a year, so not terribly high, but solid, and it's quite consistent. Uh, it's a bit expensive, though. It's on a 31 PE at the moment, so... Uh, it's off from a dollar fifty-one low, which would have been the March low, I'm assuming. Um, and before that, it was about four dollars, and it's back to three fifteen. So it's had a big run up, and there's a consequence of that is if they if they just continue earning, having the same uh, EPS growth rate that they've had for the last few years, then you're going to get about a ten percent return, um, which is not bad. On a margin of safety, we wouldn't want to pay more than two dollars fifty-eight. So it's about fifty cents, sixty cents below where it is uh, now. It's just run too far ahead. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you look at the other retailers that we like, AX1 um, and Nick Scarley, they're on a lot lower PEs and both have higher growth rates. All right. So that is the stock of the day, Baby Bunting. Again, it's, uh, yeah, it's getting the tick of approval from both gents, but at the proper price, according to Mark Moreland. And the ticker code there is BBN. Let's get to our first first uh, stock that's been sent in by one of our viewers, and that is InfoMedia. So this is coming from Bernie. It is an auto parts and service software supplier, so software as a service, data as well. Henry, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Uh, do you like InfoMedia? Um, yeah, I do. I've got to say, it's probably the slow grind upward stock. Clearly, you know, one of the uh, implications of coronavirus is that we're no longer flying and we're having to drive and uh, getting our cars serviced, etc. And we're going on more driving holidays. This one, the trouble with this one, I think, is that it's quite thinly traded. It's got a market cap of around 700 million. It did raise cash at a dollar 50. It raised around 70 million, and it has done some acquisitions in the past. Uh, of course, the auto industry does have its issues. Uh, if we do get locked down, as we're seeing with Victoria, I don't know what the latest is, but certainly those record cases there. But uh, generally, I think driving and uh, cars are an interesting place to be at the moment. This one has got that kind of slow grind feel about it. Um, and it's been doing that for a little while. It is thin, as I say, and they've, um, they've reaffirmed uh, the guidance and the outlook to deliver low double-digit growth in revenue and earnings. FY20 revenue in the range of 93 to 95 million bucks. So it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not massively exciting given what it's exposed to in the auto industry and those electronic catalogs, but it does have that slow grind appeal, I think. Even before coronavirus hit, it was kind of a sideways thing. It's probably going to continue to uh, to move up towards that two dollar level, and then maybe track sideways from there. Okay, eighty-five million cap raising at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic. Some said, you know, it could have been a little bit opportunistic, but also saying they've got, you know, the ability to acquire. What do you make of the business? Uh, we've looked at it in the past. Uh, it, it's the kind of business we like because it has strong moats, and their client base is really all the. Uh, the, uh, the repcos and all the big uh, part suppliers and, and crash repairs and so on. So it gives them the uh, catalogues to be able to identify OEM, which is original equipment mm -hmm. manufacturing parts and so on. So it's useful tools. It should do a lot better than it has. And if you look at the 10 year history, it's quite flat. Uh, they've averaged about 2% EPS growth, which is really mediocre. So it's not a growth company. Now that's okay. It doesn't have any debt and it pays out 80% of its earnings as dividends. So you can, you can invest in companies that have uh, very low growth that are stable and consistent. So that's okay, but you've got to pay the right price for them. And the, currently the P is on 35 times, which is a royally high 
PE for their current growth, even if they do have a better year than what they've done in the past. Uh, we're showing it returning negative uh, 1.5% a year at the current price. Um, if you're invested in it now, and if, if you wanted to get a 10% return from it, you couldn't pay more than 99 cents, which is about half, half mm -hmm. what it is. So it, it, it's an okay company, okay. way too expensive. Okay, that's not a ringing endorsement. Let's get to our <laughs> next uh, stock. Bernie, I do hope that helped. That was Infomedia IFM. Next company is Australian Finance Group, AFG. This is a, a question that comes in from Scott. So this company is primarily, it's, it's a mortgage broker. It's their, their brokers. And uh, recently they, they had their largest quarterly lodgement ever. I spoke with the CEO, David Bailey at the time, Mark Moreland, and he said, look, um, you know, there were not a lot of people going into banks. Yep. And he says going forward, look, once in their experience, people use a broker, they tend to go through that channel again. Yep. Um, do you like the fundamentals of the company? Uh, yes. Yeah. The fundamentals are good. It's not a company we've ever, ever looked at. It's got five years history. In fact, uh, just looking at it would pass our filters and probably might appear on our next okay. review day. Um, so the financials are excellent. It's been growing in its earnings at 18% a year average for the last five years, which is good. Um, that's growing at about three times faster than sales. So they're, they're increasing their profitability as they're growing, which is, which is a good thing. If there's too much of a uh, split between sales and earnings growth, eventually it can be a problem because you've obviously got to have sales to be able to make, uh, uh, make money. Um, their um, their uh, return on equity is 31, which is fantastic, and they're paying out uh, most of the earnings in dividends. Uh, currently, it's on a 10 PE. So this has been smashed down, um, it actually got down from $1.60 down to 90, it's $1.60 now, went down to 90 cents in March from $3 before. So it's, rec it's recovered part way to uh, where it was, uh, but on a 10 PE, that's very cheap for an earnings growth rate of 18%. Okay. So, Going forward, and if their guidance is saying that they're doing record numbers of um, uh, applications and so on, that's good. I think there's been a bit of concern after the Royal Commission about brokers and whether they would survive and how they, um, uh, where they fit it into the mix mm -hmm. now. And would the banks start taking that business back in-house? I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, but they're looking good, and we're showing it returning 25% a year if they can maintain their... Uh, their current earnings growth at 18% over the next five years, which is really good. So Henry, does it concern you at all though? You know, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in the broader economic environment right now because of COVID. I mean, is that the weak spot when it comes to AFG going forward? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think, you know, this, this is a, a stock that is very much geared to the housing cycle. Uh, who knows where that's going to be? What we have seen so far is good refinancing and people taking advantage of low rates to lock in those low rates and refinancing in order to, I guess, survive uh, if they've lost their jobs or lost part of their income due to COVID. So um, they're clearly a beneficiary of that. The other big player, of course, is Mortgage Choice, although AFG is the biggest broker network in the country. They've also made a, uh, a good acquisition, I think, in Connective. They got uh, ACCC approval for that recently, and the stock did spike on the back of that. It's not done and dusted. They still need uh, various court approvals and shareholder approvals and hoping to get that by the second half of this year. So that will be a feather in their cap because it does consolidate their position as the biggest and probably the best in the sector. Uh, they've got a big loan book, of course, which is also very valuable. Um, but these guys, it is very much geared to that property sector and what's going to happen in the outlook in terms of uh, buying. I noticed there was a report yesterday in the Fin Review saying that buying uh, buying sort of aspirations from not just first-time buyers but other people was actually quite strong although they weren't uh, prepared to pay big prices there's certainly a lot of interest out there 
in uh, in the property market. Maybe that's just vultures trying to pick over the bones. But for me, uh, this this is this is one that we own in the small cap portfolio, pre pretty much as a play on residential uh, housing and the reopening of the economy, which obviously has taken a little bit of a setback due to that. Uh, rising coronavirus down in Victoria. But uh, yeah, I still like this one. I think it is the dominant player in the sector. As Mark says, it's not expensive. They were trading at over $3 before this hit. So uh, I think there's got some good upside, but it is very much geared to the property market and the reopening of the economy. So um, that, that will be a negative in terms of headwinds for the stock. Okay, Scott, if you would like to listen to that e um, interview with the CEO, David Bailey, you can find that on our website, which is ausbiz.com.au. Let's move right along, shall we, gents? Henry, I'm going to throw this one back to you. It's Helios. Oh. The ticker code is HLS. Gareth has written in about this one. It's divested its medical centers business. And, you know, lots of people that I've been speaking with have said this is a big positive for the company. What do you think? Well, it is a big positive because uh, they did have a bit of a debt issue. They sold their medical centers to BGH, which is a private equity group, Ben Gray, a former Macquarie Bank operative, uh, for 500 million bucks. So that, that's a good uh, sign. They've renegotiated and extended their banking facility. And of course, healthcare is seen as a defensive in these, uh, in these troubled times, their diagnostic business and pathology. Um, so as COVID restrictions are lifted, we are seeing a bit of a normalization. It's taking its time. But of course, we've got issues in Victoria, but we are seeing a little bit of a normalization in some of their business lines. So that, that, is, that is a good thing for these guys. I've got to say, it's had a pretty good run. Um, it's close to, uh, to pre-COVID levels. Clearly, that uh, 500 million sale of those medical centers has really helped that run. I'm not sure I'd be buying it up here, I've got to say. I'd probably be waiting for a pullback to uh, around $2.80 uh, to look at that. But it does have those defensive qualities which some in the market obviously are looking for at the moment, given the uncertainty that's out there. But, uh, you know, all that is medical is not always good, especially if we do go into a bigger lockdown in terms of uh, those restrictions. New South Wales will be key, of course, there. But uh, I wouldn't be buying it up here, but uh, it, it certainly does offer defensive qualities going forward. Yeah, interesting. Mark, I'm curious because obviously it's divested those medical centers, so it's transitioning to a specialist diagnostic day yeah. hospital <clears throat> operator. I mean, there's inherent risk in a oh, change of strategy. Absolutely. I can't uh, comment on whether that'll be successful or not because yep. I don't know it well enough. Uh, but if you look at the history of the business, they needed to do something because their earnings, their, their sales have been flat for the last 10 years, yeah, 0.2 of a 1%. Uh, growth rate, but very stable, but their earnings have been going down at 16.9 average for the last six years. So they've, they've actually had a significant drop in earnings against their uh, sales, which mm -hmm. is really bad. Now they've made a, uh, a restructure, which obviously they needed to. Um, the problem with that is, for me, I wouldn't be interested in it because I have no idea whether they're now, where they ran it poorly before, now are they going to run it better and, and have they unburdened themselves to the point where the business is going to be a good investment. Uh, on our modelling, uh, it's still on a 19p at the moment, so it's quite it's expensive for the uh, for the earnings, and we're showing it uh, making a um, less about a one percent negative return per year at the current price. So it's going to have to do a hell of a lot better to be able to be worthy of an investment uh, from from our point of view. Okay, Gareth, do hope that helped you form your view of Helios. Uh, let's move on, Matt. Pacific Smiles Group. So it's a dental, it's a corporate dental operator, yep. Mark. I yep. mean, I don't know a lot about the details, but I do know, um, you know, we all should be going to the dentist regularly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a few in the, ca in the category. They, they're basically roll-ups. So what they do is they, they go out and buy private practices 
and they buy them at a, a, a private company PE ratio, which might be four or five. Mm -hmm. And then if, if their PE ratio, in their case, it is uh, 24. Yeah. So if you buy it for five, you get up a five times lift in uh, accretive earnings. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not real earnings, but it's the valuation, that's how it works. So you keep buying them and the business gets worth more and more. The problem with these models is you're taking businesses that have professionals who own the business before and then turning them into employees, you know, generally, which it, has, it becomes problematic. Uh, one 300 smiles is, um, is another one which we know a lot better than this one. Um, and they tend to do well for a while and then they have problems. Now, what with Pacific Smiles, they seem to be more that they own the venues and then they sell, they rent the seats. Okay. So then they say to the uh, dentist, and I think they've evolved into that because they had to, because mm -hmm. um, the owners, uh, a lot of them want to retire. So they're selling the business because they want to retire. They then come in and they say, well, I'll work Mondays and Tuesdays, blah, blah, blah. And they pay so much for uh, yeah. renting the seat. So they're really a property manager in, yeah. in that respect, which is another whole set of different uh, challenges. So um, look, it's growing, the growth rate's been three and a half uh, percent a year. Uh, with good stability, so very low growth. That's typical, one 300 smiles is about the same. Uh -huh. So that's low growth, but solid. Um, return on equity is 20, 22%, which is excellent. And they pay out nearly, well, they paid out 96% last year. So on a current PE of 24, we're showing it returning about 8% a year at the current price. So it's, it's okay, uh, but I wouldn't get excited it's about it. It's not a buy. Not for me. Okay. Um, Henry, I'm wondering if you feel differently because it has recently signed a 10-year agreement with HBF so it will build and operate five HBF dental centers in the next 18 months. I mean, it certainly seems as if it's being uh, proactive on the front foot to, to sort of roll out that model. Yeah, I've got to say, Nadine, I hate dentists. It's just a phobia of Really? My, I love my, dentists. <laughs> yeah, I hate going. They, they, I, they, it's just pain, either from, uh, from what's happening in your mouth or what's happening in your wallet. Um, <laughs> It always seems to be a very expensive exercise in terms of uh, pain thresholds. So um, it's not the most exciting business in the world and, and very much, uh, you know, they've been reopening a lot of their centres. They've got uh, 93 dental centres that they have been reopening and uh, things are getting back to normal because people are rushing to have checkups, etc. So uh, Mark's right, it's, it's not the most exciting business in the world, but it is, I guess, a defensive business provided we don't see a continuation of lockdowns and restrictions closing those centres back up again. And they've just put some guidance out recently on the end of uh, the financial year. Underlying EBITDA in the range of 22.3 to 22.8, uh, net debt around 8.5 million. So it's not exactly stretched or anything, but it's just very unexciting. And being someone that really hates going to the dentist, I don't think I could ever own a dental stock. Uh, <laughs> it's just not my... It's just not my thing. It'd be like having a root canal, to be honest. Okay, well, I think you've made that pretty clear, Henry. Um, yeah, PSQ is the ticker code there, Matt. Uh, look, it doesn't sound like it's really exciting. Either of these guys joining us today on the call, and I guess as well, you've got to think, yes, it could be defensive in a way, but it's also, you know, could be discretionary spending if there's high unemployment in the economy as well. Yeah. Um, let's get to our next stock. Uh, Metcash, MTS, is coming from Linda. Linda, thanks for watching. Uh, let's start with you, Henry. We have had um, you know, pretty strong sales coming through from Metcash through this pandemic, this stockpiling. They've been beneficiaries as well. But I have noticed that um, there's been a few flagging these elevated operating costs. What do you make of Metcash? Well, I guess uh, you know, part of the elevated operating costs is being able to corona-proof your stores etc and it's not got a bad yield 
uh, around four and a half percent. And you'd have to think that some of the Bunnings factor will have uh, rubbed off on Metcash. Of course, these guys are Mitre 10 and those sorts of uh, hardware stores, and we've all been cocooning at home. And I think this one's probably been a little bit hard done by. It's had a good bounce back off that $2.40 level back to $2.80. It doesn't really do much, to be honest. Um, it's kind of one of those shares that trades in a, in a pretty much in a range. But you'd have to think that there could be a little bit of an upside surprise given the rush that people have had into, um, into hardware. And, of course, the IGA network and food distribution generally. The, uh, I, I'm not sure they're really on top of the whole Coles and Woolies delivery side of things. I'm not sure IGA has a similar offering, and it costs a lot of money to, to ramp that up. So that is a concern, as is the concern about uh, Corona proofing their stores with plastic screens, etc., and all the things that companies have had to do. Um, so it's pretty much a hold. It's not very exciting. It could get a bit of a kick from hardware. Uh, that's certainly a bit of an attraction, but it is kind of the third, uh, the ugly sister out of the uh, out of the coals. Mm -hmm side of things uh, and it probably will remain so it is defensive in some respects and does have that hardware attraction which we've seen with the Bunnings factor but uh, it's not the most exciting stock in the world I have to say and probably a hold at these levels. Mark it's got pretty good free cash flow possibly allowing it to make further acquisitions into more exciting spaces or that's not well, what you I mean, they, buying they, they, really, they really class themselves primarily as a wholesale and distributor because they supply a lot of the small places mm -hmm. and they also have a wholesale hardware and liquor business as well. Metcash has been a it's struggled. Uh, it's got flat earnings. You know, it's a mediocre company. You know, so it's, it's stable. And as uh, Henry said, it does pay a 4% dividend. Uh, we're showing it returning about 3.5% a year uh, over the, on, at the current price, which is really mediocre. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be interested in it. Uh, they've, they've, they've had a hard time. There's always problems. And Woolworths and Coles are the uh, elephants in the room and they get trampled on a bit. So um, they've changed management, they've done all sorts of things, but they've never been able to break out of this mediocre performance. Uh, and if you could buy it at the right price, you know, you could get it. So if you, for instance, if you could, if you wanted a 10% return, you could pay $2.03 and it's currently two seventy odd. So could it go down to $2.03? Absolutely. If we have another route in the market, it could. So then you'd say, well, 10% for a reliable, boring business is not a bad thing. Okay. But you wouldn't be chasing no. it at all. Yeah. All right. Um, look, we are, believe it or not, more than halfway through the program. I spoiled you as well with two stocks of the day. So Nine Spokes was the first company that we discussed with Mark Moreland from Team Invest. He uh, did his research. It is currently down by 13%. The ticker code is 9SP. He says, do not touch this one in a nutshell. I think that's a it's, fair assessment. Yeah. Henry Jennings uh, took a look at Baby Buntings for you today. It was out with an update. And uh, yeah, Henry says it looks pretty good. It's in the right space in retail. And uh, let's get on to some of the questions that you as a viewer have put in. So Bernie, Infomedia, IFN. Henry says it's a buy. He says it's got a slow grind feel about it. Um, but, you know, I don't think Mark Moreland was particularly uh, interested in this one overall. Pretty expensive for what it is. Let's get to Australian Finance Group, AFG, which was a question coming from Scott. Hey, Scott. Uh, Mark Moreland says that the financials are excellent. However, uh, it doesn't pass the team invest filters just yet. Henry says it's a buy. It's not expensive, in Henry's words. Helios, HLS for Gareth. Um, look, Henry Jennings says that it's pretty defensive. It's had a pretty good run. He'd wait for a pullback at about $2.80. And uh, you've just said that it's a bit expensive considering a lot of the unknowns, Mark, when it yep. comes to Helios. That's ticker code HLS. Pacific Smiles Group, well, I think they both agreed that this was 
uh, one they wouldn't be chasing, really. It's not exciting. Uh, Henry hates the dentist. He says even if it is a bit defensive, he just doesn't want to be reminded of that, so he'd never hold it in his portfolio. Uh, Mark Moreland says that the return on equity is excellent, but it's not. It's just not a buy. Met cash, so yeah, if you like boring, perhaps, uh, but Mark Moreland says you don't buy it unless it's uh, falling to about $2 and three. You've got those elephants in the room, Woolworths and Kohl's. Why would you really take them on? And uh, Henry says, look, it's perhaps a hold. You know, there could be some room for upside surprise. But again, I don't think Henry, uh, it's one that he's particularly excited by. So that's uh, the halfway mark. And Terry's Technologies. So this one is a, a company that we've had a number of um, questions being asked on. Uh, Braden particularly comes to mind. Uh, we actually spoke with its CEO this morning, Wayne Patterson. In essence, it's a heart valve manufacturer. It says that it wants to make the world's most durable valve. So gents, I'm not sure if you're particularly familiar with this company. I was not. The ticker code is AVR, but like good people, you've done your homework. Yes. <laughs> what do you think of it? Um, I've never heard of it. The problem, the problem is, um, in the biotech space, well, this is, I don't know what he calls a biotech, it's classic Med healthcare. Yeah, Med yeah, Medtech. Med Med so, yeah, they're, they're, they're new technology, building scaffolding for, uh, uh, for re-engineering um, heart components and so on. Very exciting. I have no idea. You know, the problem with, if you don't understand the tech, or if you don't understand the area at all, it's very hard to know whether it'll ever be successful. You don't know how good it is or anything. They've got a 10-year history of losing money, and the last couple of years have accelerated. So they're losing more and more and more each year, which means they can only ultimately stay alive by uh, ultimately doing, doing capital raisings or, or uh, borrowing money. I don't know how far they are away from commercialization and what that means. So you really need to buy the story. So I didn't see that interview. It would have been interesting because it comes down to if you're going to invest in these things, it's not an investment based on logical returns. It's a, I'd still class it as more speculative in that you might really like it and you think it's going to be the best best thing, you're putting money in on the hope that that is true. Um, if you go to the casino, you know, you've got a one in 32 chance on, um, on, the, on roulette. How did I know you were going to say casino? <laughs> right, Mark? It's, it's like that. Yeah, I've known you guys, that team invest for a while. <laughs> Henry, um, so it's medtech. It's in that space that yes, it requires capital to get where they are going. Um, but you know, it can be exciting. It does have a huge market if you're talking heart valves. I mean, could you take a look at a company like this, do your research, listen to management, uh, read about the company, uh, and you know, decide that this is a company that has a future? Yes, you could. Um, I won't. Uh, it's, it's a very small medical device company. It's only a $20 million market cap. They've been recapitalized, oh, well, reconstructed, so the share price actually looks, uh, you know, quite a, a hefty amount as opposed to a small amount. So that, that's a, uh, a positive, I guess. That gives it a little bit of dignity rather than a penny dreadful. Uh, I'm sure the technology is fantastic. Uh, it certainly looks it on their, all their presentations, as you would expect for the, the world's most durable heart valve. The problem is, that it's going to need a big partner because these things take time to roll out. They need time to convince um, surgeons and hospitals that this is the next big thing and they should be using their products rather than any others. We have seen a couple of medical device companies, if you like, in Australia do exceptionally well. Uh, there's a couple in the skin business of uh, Polynovo and Avita, which have been great success stories and an almost you know, billion dollar company market cap. So clearly there is a, a runway here for medical device companies from Australia to do well in the US, but it does take time, it does take money, and it does take commitment. 
Polynovo and Avita weren't overnight successes. I'm sure these guys have been doing uh, sterling work in the background, but it does take time to get acceptance. And it's just too early for me. I'd much rather jump on this one when they start to actually get some sales or a big partner that's going to be able to distribute and convince doctors in the US and elsewhere that this is the way forward for, uh, for heart treatment with their heart valve technology. So way too early for me. It's a punt. Uh, they may announce tomorrow that they've signed a deal with some fantastic, you know, for Sanofi or somebody that's uh, in the medical device business that uh, transforms it. But at the moment, it's going to require a lot of cash, a lot of salespeople on the ground, a lot of convincing. So it's one I would avoid for the time being. Okay, and Terrace okay. Technologies, AVR Braden, that's a no from both of our guests. Um, maybe we get to some of those companies that uh, you're more familiar with, perhaps uh, would be willing to invest in. Let's get to Goodman Group. Uh, Mark, this is a company uh, in the industrial property space primarily, has an investment portfolio, but just um, you know, talking about it, you know, the trends that are very favorable for it through the pandemic, the move to e-commerce, uh, the shift to these large distribution centers. Do you like Goodman Group? Uh, we, we don't like REITs generally, and obviously Goodman Group is a REIT. I've heard other people say of the REITs, Goodman's probably one of, is probably one of the best ones. Uh, the industrial side of the business is probably okay. You know, the, if you're in REIT, the, 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 uh, like Centre Group and so on, where it's in uh, retail space and shopping centres, I'd be really, really uh, uh, nervous about. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Goodman's in a, better, a lot better space, but it's a very large international uh, property group. One of the reasons we don't like them is they they can revalue their properties, uh, which then goes falls through to the bottom line. So the profit often isn't cash based, but is based on uh, the cap rate on the uh, property values. So it's a bit hard to really know you know what's there. You know, it's it's, it's uh, so from our point of view, it's a bit too a bit opaque for us. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Uh, if I look at the earnings, they're 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 growing at 15% a year with high stability, which is good. And we're showing it returning 12.53% a year at the moment if they can continue what they're doing. So that would assume no positive or no negative effect from uh, the coronavirus on them, uh, which is not bad. And they pay out um, about 40% in, um, in uh, dividend. So not interesting for us. It's, it's in the top quartile of the PE at 21. 21 is quite a high PE in uh, property REITs. Fundamentally, uh, Henry, when you look at, uh, at something like Goodman Group, given the areas that it operates in, it's large geographic base, do you like it? Yeah, got to like it. It's, it's the market leader. It's, uh, it's kind of the safe way to play e-commerce because of the logistics centers that it has. It's quality management. It's done a really good job of, uh, of managing those assets, not only in logistics, in distribution, but also in, uh, in office space as well. So I think this one is certainly, it, it demands a premium and it does carry a premium. It's not got the greatest yield in the world for a REIT. It's almost like a growth stock in some respects because of this exposure to e-commerce, which is only going to get bigger. And I think the coronavirus has accelerated this trend. We've seen it with Kogan. We've even seen it with uh, Temple and Webster through, uh, through online furniture and soft furniture sales. So I think this is only going to get bigger. Uh, Goodman is at the forefront of this. They've got quality assets, quality management. The balance sheet looks okay. Mark's right in that a lot of the profits does come from property revaluation, but there's equally, you know, in this environment, we could see uh, this company start to make acquisitions. There is a little bit of uh, M&A happening in the sector. Some of the players that are maybe not in quite such good shape as some of the bigger Goliaths of the sector. So I think this one definitely should be on uh, people's lists. It's not cheap. And it has run pretty hard. 
Um, so it'd be nice if you could get it cheaper, but I think that's that's probably not going to happen, at least in the short term, unless we get a significant market correction. It's another one of these grind higher stocks. Has done very well, and uh, I think it will continue to do so. But uh, maybe that the best in terms of share price, just short term, could be behind it. Um, and that meteoric run, it got down to 10 bucks during uh, the March Madness, and here we are back at 16. So it's had mm -hmm. a pretty good run. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think long term it will still do well. It's quality management and a quality set of assets that it's got. So would you wait for some sort of a dip, some sort of a pullback before you'd look to get into it's, Goodman it, Group, even though you look at it favorably? Well, it's it's always hard, you know, doing the oh well, you know, I see great value at ten bucks because it's never going to get to ten bucks unless mm. unless unless the market does what it did in March, and then in which case we'll all be panicking again and selling it down to eight dollars. So I think it's you know it's one that you probably nibble away over time. And uh, it will eventually uh, keep going up and, and do its thing and, and just push higher with you know two percent distribution uh, in terms of that not not franked of course but just good exposure to the e-commerce and defensive as well. There's a number of those REITs that are in the defensive ones. The other one that I like at the moment is National Storage NSR is the code there. They've had a pretty good bounce. They raised money at a dollar fifty-seven. They're currently uh, above one ninety. And the other one is uh, the Bunnings Warehouse Property Trust, which uh, Again, is nice and defensive. Great tenant, obviously in Bunnings, and uh, so those those three stand out for me in the REITs. And I don't really like any of, as Mark says, those ones exposed to shopping centres no. and uh, retail, which I think are best avoided just at the moment. But uh, ones with warehouses and big buildings that uh, sell stuff, I think, are, are pretty good. Okay, so that's Goodman Group, Kate, uh, GMG. Uh, Jacob has written in about Telstra. Henry, I know you wanted to talk about this one. I feel like we've been talking about Telstra um, plenty over the last little while because it's been one of those quiet outperformers over the past few weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, th this is one. I ha we had a, um, a, a viewer, or not a viewer, but a member email us about what stocks you would buy as defensive instead of cash. And Telstra very much in that vein. Uh, we talked about it at around $3.15 as a, as a good alternative to cash. And I call it the tech in a cardi. Um, it is kind of, it's, it's not a cool tech stock, but it has a lot of the tech attributes. And one thing that really has helped it in the last few weeks, I guess, in terms of that share price rating, apart from the defensive nature of its business and the fact that it's very defensive in terms of its uh, businesses focused on Australia. And if you're going to go Fortress Australia because of Corona, that's not, maybe a bad thing to have but also uh, it has got the cloud data side of things and it also raised its prices on its mobile uh, post-paid uh, plans by around, I think it was around five bucks I'm not a Telstra customer and that that really has helped and I guess it shows the power of the brand and the franchise it, it's kind of um, almost obligatory to hate Telstra and complain about yeah, customer well, service it's not a great five-year chart that we've got up on the screen either <laughs> uh, Henry no, no, it's not. But uh, you know, there, there's clearly times when you should be buying Telstra, and there's clearly times when you shouldn't be buying Telstra. And I think at the moment, having rallied from 315 to what 340, I think there's still a bit more upside there. And if you're looking for a safe, domestically focused company with a bit of a bit of tech thrown in, uh, that cloud side still interests me yeah. because they are quite big in cloud computing and everything else that's got even mentions cloud goes ballistic. Um, I think there's still upside to come in, uh, in in Telstra, I have to say. And and remember that throughout the GFC, they still paid a dividend, even though they had to borrow to uh, to pay that dividend. 
uh, it was kind of enshrined in, in a tablet that, that uh, the CEO at the time, David Thody, brought down from the uh, mm. from the mount that uh, they would continue to pay that dividend. So I, Some I think say that's to its detriment, yeah. But um, I'm curious as well, Mark, to get your thoughts on this one because we've got Optus saying that it will hold firm on pricing. Some saying Telstra might have to scale back. Do you think that it's smart enough not to get into a price war? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, we've, we've actually been uninterested in Telstra for the last decade. And that's served us well because we've invested in the small telcos, which have done really, really well. Telstra's been sort of flat, and then it's and and, and it's it's done well, I think, in maintaining its earnings. Its growth rate's about 1.6 percent a year, uh, but it's very stable. So it's got a very solid business. It's got very strong moats. Uh, they they're, they're still the major player in the market. I think they're roughly 50 percent of the uh, the market. So uh, that's they're in a very very strong position. From our point of view, it's always failed because the debt's too high. Uh, it's at 118% debt to equity, but it's not a threat to the business survivability. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, at the moment, the PE is on 7.7, which is very, very low. I mean, the lowest it's ever been is on is 5.68. Um, and even with those earnings growth, as we, as we mentioned before, you can have flat earnings, and as long as it's cheap enough, you get a decent return. So if Telstra can continue running at 1.6 a year, which isn't Herculean, mm -hmm. it basically status quo, you're going to get 15% a year return over the next five years, uh, total return on uh, dividend payment and capital growth on Telstra. So would you buy it now? Well, you could. Uh, I wouldn't because okay. I'm in the small telco. Yes, still. but but uh, it, if you were Jacob, who's written in about Telstra? Uh, uh, no, I think it's actually very. It's very cheap because yeah. it's, it's at the bottom of the PE range, absolute bottom, um, and it's very stable and reliable. Okay. So. If you want 15% a year, and a lot of uh, investors are, would be delighted to have 15% a year. And uh, Jacob, of course, all of this is general information yep. in nature, and it always has to be tailored to your own financial situation. i got to get moving. That's why I'm sort of moving okay. you guys along. <laughs> Brambles, BXB, coming from Ravi. Now, it's got a lot of U.S. exposure, and that may not actually be a great thing for its business right now, Mark. Um, uh, it's not a business we've ever been interested in. Also, flat growth. We had a lot of companies with no yeah. growth today. 2.4% a year average with high stability. The, these guys provide all the pallets and the uh, plastic boxes mm -hmm. and so on all over the world. And they've had trouble in the past where, you know, losing them all. And it was on their balance sheet. And then the auditor said, where are they? Uh, well, probably in Dubai or somewhere. You know, there's been issues but uh, in, in corralling their assets, if you like. Uh, we're showing it returning about 3.7% a year. Not, not really. Well, I didn't, I didn't get out of bed for 3.7%. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get out of bed for anyways. We'll leave that one there. Uh, Henry Brambles, um, I noticed just reading a note about it today, lumber inflation actually yeah. moving up the cost of its pallets. We don't talk yeah. about lumber very much here. Yeah. Uh, but what is the overarching theme for you when it comes to Brambles? And is it a buy, hold or a sell? Um, I think it's a hold. I, I saw a chart on lumber actually the other day from... Uh, from one of your uh, competitors in the finance uh, TV space, and uh, it's it's had an incredible run. It's a yeah. big barometer, I guess, of uh, of U.S. building, but uh, clearly it's it's part of the pallet business as well. I guess the problem for Brambles has been Amazon to some extent, and they they did have some issues with this before because although it has things that are moving around in terms of logistics and these pallets, it, Amazon is small parcels as opposed to stuff that goes on a pallet. So uh, it hasn't really had that kind of that big lift from uh, more packages being pushed around the system. So it, it's not the most exciting of businesses. Clearly, it has got a big U.S. bias in terms of that pallet business. Mark's right, but the in terms of the the, the lost pallets, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, um, that that was certainly something they put behind them, and that was, I think that was two CEOs ago from memory. 
it, it's not got a bad yield in, in this environment. It's not great. It's not, uh, you know, three, three and a half percent and uh, PE of around uh, 20, 21 times. So it's not massively expensive, but it's not massively exciting either. I think that's a hold from me. Okay, hold on Bramble's Ravi <clears throat> BXB coming from Henry. Let's get to our final stock of the day. This one's coming from Gabby, and this is Australian Ethical Investment. So this is AEF. Recently signaled that full year profit will come in you know, much better than expected. Um, fee revenue from its Emerging Companies Fund will be looking to elevate group profit by 41% this year. I might leave this one. Uh, for a second with you, Mark, and get to Henry on this. Fundamentally, you know, do you know the story, the narrative around this? I mean, it certainly seems to be in a space that is really hot right now. It's doing well. Uh, yeah, and it's got a it's got a great track record. AEF, the the emphasis on the E, the ethical. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people like the ethical. My concern is the valuation. They only have four billion under management. Yet at one stage, this company was worth one billion, which just didn't add up. If you looked at Magellan as expensive and people did. That was a $100 billion uh, value of uh, funds under management. And this one looked even more expensive than Magellan. It has since pulled back. It's only around 750 in terms of market cap. And they have updated the market. They've got a good performance fee coming through. And it is trendy and there's very little competition listed in that, e, uh, in that ethical space. And that's what really turns investors on. It is very volatile. It wings around on sentiment. It's fundamentally, I think, overvalued, but it's a sentiment stock. Would I buy it here? Probably not chasing it on days like today or yesterday. So it's having a good day today, but um, certainly it does hold attractions at lower prices. I, I, I was quite keen on this around $2.70 and rode it to sort of six bucks and then got out, but um, it did go an awful lot higher and just got a little bit too silly mm. for my life. Um, so very much a sentiment momentum stock for me but uh, not, not uh, playing at this, th these prices, that's for sure. No, but Henry, if you owned it, you'd be very happy holding it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's a trading stock more than anything else because it is very much market sentiment driven. It's got a great core business and it's got that very important ethical uh, side to it, which is, you know, it's in the name. It does what it says on the tin to some extent. And that, that is a rare thing in the market. And it's certainly an emerging kind of uh, the ESG thing is, is a, an emerging investment trend. And this does capture that for, uh, for for younger investors and those with a more ethical bent. Yeah, well, and that's a trend that's held up by all the interviews that I've done through this pandemic, right through the pandemic. Mark, do you know the company? Yes, yet? I will. Uh, we've done de de detailed analysis on the company. Yep. We don't like it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm suspicious of it, actually. Okay, you know, as that's, in, that's as taking in, it up a notch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's on a PE of 89, which is, uh, has, as Henry said, has been sentiment driven. It's absurd. Magellan's on 26, and Magellan is a far superior uh, company, if you ask me. So I'd buy, I'd, I would, uh, it's a third of the price, of, so it's grossly overpriced. We're showing it returning negative 3% a year at the current price um, going forward, because it's just ridiculous. Um, also, the, uh, when we looked at it in detail, the, the, they're very sanctimonious and talk about how ethical they are and how clever. There's no mention of shareholders, no mention of returns, yet they pay themselves royally. The, the management are paid way over the odds, in our view, on what the, they're earning and what their incentive programs are. So that put us off as well. So they were, on one hand, look at us, we're so, we're so uh, uh, good and, and, and people are investing in it for that, yet we take massive salaries and so on and don't talk about shareholders at all. So that put us off. Now, the share price since then, when we did that, it was about $2. So it's gone up $6. So it hasn't, 
Uh, we've missed out on a big game, but we have no interest in it at all. So we failed it. Okay, so that is uh, a sell, even if you're holding it, if you don't yeah, trust the company. If I, if at 89 PE, it's yeah. so overpriced that if you owned it, it would be a really good time to sell it because okay. it's only going to go higher based on, you know, un, un, based on irrational. Okay, all right. I think that is um, very succinct there. Let's get to wrapping up some of those stocks for you. Before we've got to say goodbye to our guests, we've got Antares Technologies, AVR, coming from Braden. Uh, look, it's just too much of a risk. It's a punt. It's a casino from Mark Moreland. And yeah, just way too early in the words of Henry Jennings, Goodman Group, GMG. So Mark Moreland and the guys at Team Invest, they don't like REITs in general. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. They just don't invest in that area of the market. Henry likes it. It's a mar market leader, good management. It's a growth stock almost. This one's a buy for Henry. A Telstra Corporation, TLS, I don't think I need to explain it to you. Jacob, you know what it does. Um, yeah, Mark Moreland says it's got a moat around it, but um, it is a buy. It is a buy if you don't hold it and you're interested in that area of the market. They like the small telcos better. Henry says it's defensive. Uh, yeah, uh, likes the company. Brambles is the next company on the list. BXB is the ticker code you can see there for Ravi. It's a hold for Henry. It's uh, not a bad yield, he says. Mark Moreland says that it's just very unexciting. They don't do unexciting. Uh, Australian Ethical, uh, it's a sell. You just heard why from Mark Moreland. Uh, doesn't really trust the company. And uh, yeah, Henry says, look, it's um, just overvalued as a company. So the ticker code for that one is AEF. He says it's probably a trading stock, maybe 270, but um, wouldn't be buying. Hey, Henry, it's, um, it's a shame you weren't with us here in studio today, but totally get it. It was really good of you to join us. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. We'll see you soon. I'll see you soon, Dean. Thanks for having me. Okay, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today there, and Mark Moreland from Team Invest. It was fun to do that My again pleasure. with you. It was great. Thank you. Do we have you regularly now instead of crushing or not? No, no, he's just <laughs> taking a bit of a break. We wouldn't want to rock the boat too much, disappoint viewers. Okay, that's the show for today. If you'd like us to cover any company, flick us an email. We try to get to them all. Uh, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us to at ausbiztv. TV.